I want to tell you about two of my old friends. So one is called Jenny and the other one is called Tammy. Now the thing is, they don't actually exist. They're just the voices in my head. So today's episode is about self-talk, as normal people would call it. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Mentally Fit Muslims podcast. I'm your host, Sabah Malik, and today's show is all about self-talk, how to deal with those thoughts, and how to get distance from it. Now stick around till the second part, because today I am talking to Dr. Nafisa Sikandri, and she's going to be telling me about anxiety and how gut bacteria and aromatherapy can actually help us boost our mood. So I was talking to my therapist and I was telling her how sometimes I feel like the thoughts in my head are so overbearing and I feel so drowned by them that they just literally feel, it just literally feels like they're crushing me. So she asked me a very interesting question, which was, okay, those voices in your head, the thoughts that are very overbearing, overpowering, they're like a storm. Who are they? And that made me pause and think, and I was like, hmm, that's just me. It's me talking. And at that point, we started to take a different approach to those voices in my head. And I want to share that with you. And you can judge and observe if this will work for you. If, this, if you find that this is helpful, maybe it will help you with your monstrous thoughts. So I started giving those voices in my head, I started giving them a name. And the first, first name that popped in my head was Jin. I called it, yeah, that's the Jin talking, that's the Jin talking. And I guess just growing up and knowing like deep down in my gut that, which Dr. Nafisa talks about later on, interestingly, but knowing in my gut that there was something inside me that was a part of me, some monster thing. I just call that voice right now Jin. And the thing is, when I first thought about it, it was scary. And I asked myself, okay, what does it look like? What does it smell like? What cartoon character does it resemble the most? And honestly, the picture that popped in my head was, you know, from the Adams family, cousin it. That is what popped in my head, but not initially. Initially, it was very scary. It felt like it was a beast, and that's how I pictured the voices in my head. But just giving it a name gave me some distance from it. You know, it's like I named something that was always there, but now because I named it, I acknowledge its existence, and now for the first time, I could get some distance from it. And the thing is, when we have that chatter in our head, the self-talk, we personalize it so much to the point that we start to think that this is me. This is me talking. Even though that self-talk, the thoughts might be so destructive, bringing you down, holding you back, your limiting beliefs. But because we adopt them as our own, we start to listen to them. We obey them. We take them as, quote unquote, a God. But the voice in your head is not a God. The voice in your head is not a God. They are just thoughts. And the thing is, when you don't get awareness about those thoughts, when you don't, when you don't take steps to manage them, it will cost you your mental health. 
You do not have to have a diagnosed mental illness to be affected by them. Anybody is susceptible to that. It's like keeping your room clean or your house clean. If you don't clutter, if you don't clean up the junk every night, if you don't pick up the mess, if you don't pick up after yourself, that clutter, that junk will add up. So a person who hasn't cleaned their room for a week, let's say for a month, for years, you can imagine that they won't be able to find anything in their room. They can't get any work done. So that's the analogy of your mind. If you're not cleaning your thoughts, if you're not observing them, if you're not being aware of them, they will cost you your mental health. And COVID is a very, very good example of that. I've been listening to these people who say that Especially people, I read two articles about people who had bipolar and they said COVID was nothing to them. And I was like, okay, why? And they said because they had gone through so much pain before with bipolar, the mental trauma, the isolation, the suicidal thoughts, they said it prepared them for COVID so well. And I can kind of relate. Getting that awareness about your self-talk is crucial. Now, how do you do that, right? It's so easy for me to sit here and tell you that, you know what, you need to observe your thoughts and you need to get distance from it. But how do you actually do that? Give the voice in your head. Here's how you get that space from that self-talk. If it's very destructive, especially if you have a mental health challenge, that voice is going to be very destructive. It's going to be knocking you down so much. So the first step is give it a name. So I chose a name Jin, which was very scary in the beginning. And then slowly, slowly, as it had less power over me, I changed the name to Jenny. Yeah, I know it's it's kind of corny, but I call it Jenny now. And even now, I hardly feel like it's there. So the way I started first was I gave it a name, which I told you Jin, and then now Jenny. Second is I asked myself, okay, if it had a smell, what would it smell like? And in the beginning, it was like very rotten, like almost like a skunk. And then I asked myself, what color would it be? And in the beginning, it was black. And then when I had to imagine it being a cartoon character, I mean, the first thing that popped in my head was Cousin It from the Addams Family. So at that time, it became like very comical. And that is when I started to get that distance from it. Now, how do you find that distance? That is something you have to figure out for yourself. I'll tell you how I did it and maybe that'll give you some ideas how you can do that for yourself. So for me, I love working out. I don't see it as a punishment. I see it as a treat. I see it as a stress reliever. It wasn't always like that. In the beginning, I did see it as a form of punishment. Oh, I ate too much ice cream or cookies. Okay, I have to go work out and punish myself and, you know, make up for that. But now I see it as a treat. It's like a way for me to press pause and just take care of myself for the next hour. I use my workouts to find that space. So when I'd go to the gym, of course, there's all these thoughts coming. Oh, who do you think you are? You could come, you can get fit. Oh, you think you can run fast? No, that person's running faster than you. Oh, look at your tummy. It's still bulging out. What do you think? You think you can be so fit? You're so fat. You're so ugly. You're so, you know, what? it would just go on and on. And if you were to hear me, if you were to hear my thoughts out loud, you'd be so mortified. But that's how it was in the beginning. So I'd be lifting some dumbbells and I would see Jenny there in the back and it's still yelling stuff. It's still, you know, the thoughts are very loud, but I would still keep pushing through my workout. Now, the thing is, if you're lifting weights or you're running on a treadmill, you cannot afford 
not to breathe. If you do not breathe, you cannot continue your workout. For one thing, let's take the example of running on a treadmill. If you do not breathe, you will either fall down and just make a fool out of yourself. But worse than that, you'll get hurt. So breathing is crucial to working out. And the thing is, if you are deep, if you are breathing very deeply, very consciously, very um, actively, you don't have thoughts, you don't have time, you don't have energy to entertain frivolous thoughts. Meaning when I'm running on the treadmill, I don't have time for Jenny. I can't. So that is where I started getting space from it. In the beginning, I called it an it. But slowly, slowly, I called it a she. So when I would run, when I would work out, I would get that space from Jenny. I would feel like this relief, almost this like freedom, this peace. I felt like I could breathe again, not just physically breathe, but mentally breathe. And that space, it was so peaceful. But guess what happened right after? I got so scared. Okay, this emptiness, what do I do? It was frightening. You know, I I never visited that space where my mind was just at peace and quiet. So it was very new to me. But guess what? With that fear came excitement. And alhamdulillah, now in that space, I can just be at peace. I can observe my thoughts instead of letting them overpower me. And I can also know that, okay, right now, this is not actually a thought for me. It's a waswas. It's a fluttering thought, as I like to translate waswas. So those fluttering thoughts, the way you tell that it's not from you is that a thought comes for like a split second and it's so horrible or it's so out of your character and you think, how could I possibly think that? That is not you. That is literally a waswas. That is a whisper from shaitan. So with that, what is the remedy? You say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Rajim. You say that right away. Make that a habit. That once you think, you, you get that thought, you take cover. And that's literally what A'udhu Billah means. That you're running to Allah for shelter. Like it's raining outside. There's a huge thunderstorm. And you run under a bus shelter just to get that protection. That is what you're doing when you say, A'udhu Billahi Minash Rajim. Now, with other thoughts, you might be thinking, okay, well, I like my thoughts. I like my self-talk. Okay, that's, that's good for you. Maybe it is serving you. Maybe your thoughts are actually very positive thoughts. Maybe they're not limiting beliefs. Maybe they are setting you free. Mashallah, I congratulate you that you have that mastery over your thoughts and you're able to observe your self-talk and use it to your advantage. So for those of you who are not at that level, that you're just starting out and you're just trying to get that space, this is what I want you to walk away from this episode. Give the voice in your head a name. Ask yourself, if it was a cartoon character, what would it be? If it had a smell, what would it smell like? If it had a color, what color would it be? And pretend, imagine yourself sitting down and, and having a cup of tea or chai with your with your voice with your jenny and have a conversation what does it want why does a thought keep reoccurring what is it trying to tell you what is the lesson that this painful thought is trying to teach you that when you learn that lesson that emotional charge of the thought will be gone and then it'll just pass like clouds 
It'll come, you'll watch it, you'll observe it, and then it'll just pass through. Now, another way to get that space could be journaling. And that was my last mini episode. I talked about journaling and how that can help you get mastery over your thoughts. So to recap on this road of revival this season, the first episode was about blame and shame. The next one was about having ignorance and being arrogant. And this one is about Tammy and Jenny or self-talk. Now, I didn't tell you about Tammy because once I got over Jenny, guess what? Jenny was more like, um, like very brute and emotional. But then along came Tammy. And Tammy, I named after a girl in my high school class. Her, her real name wasn't Tammy, but I just use that name because I don't, I don't want to say her real name. But she was kind of the judgy type who would just, you know, look at you and you'd feel judged right away, even if she didn't say anything. So Tammy for me is not the kind of the raw emotional type like Jenny, but she was a more like analyzing everything, micromanaging, being manipulative, being suspicious, you know, kind of the girl type emotions, you can say. No, that's just a generalization. But she was the one that was like an overthink. So she was a little harder to get a hold of. But I finally did. Now, here's a secret. You do not have to tell anybody about these voices in your head. Okay, because what I'm describing it to you, if I said it to someone who did not know me, they would think that I'm crazy and I'm cuckoo. And I don't care. Fine, go ahead. <laughs> if you think I'm crazy, if I'm cuckoo, that's fine. This is this technique of naming the voice in your head is just for you. It is just for you to get some distance from the turmoil, from that emotional charge in your head. Because if you do not give it a name, you cannot get distance from it. And some and that's why sometimes labels are a good thing. They let you identify an unknown so that you can name it, you can deal with it, you can identify it. So this can work in your favor. Now, do not over identify with these names. After you get some distance and you feel like they're fading in the background, let go of it. Then just see it as like the passing cloud. Do not hold on to the name. Do not obsess over it. And if you find you're doing that, then again, go to your place where you find space. So for me, that would be getting a workout in or journaling or another hobby. So you find your hobby, you find your space where you can get that mental relief, that pause. And then when you do have that empty space and that peace, fill it with positive thoughts. Right? You cannot put clean food on a dirty plate. You have to clean it first and then start putting nourishing, healthy food on it. And the best way to do that is making dhikr, remembering Allah. And one of my favorite ones right now is just saying, Subhanallahi wa bihamdihi. I find these two, this one is so beautiful because when you're saying Subhanallahi, you're you're not just glorifying Allah, but you're saying that anything bad in this world, anything from me, from an event, from a place, anything, it does not belong. It, it, it doesn't come from Allah. Allah is way, way above that. That is subhanAllah. And then alhamdulillah means not just praise to Allah, but that every good thing I have in my life 
every good person, every good event, every miracle, gratitude, happiness, it belongs to Allah. It comes from Allah. So subhanallah wa bihamdihi. It's literally putting your life in balance. That all this negative stuff, it's not from Allah. All this pain, even what seems like pain, we might call it negative, but it, it could really be good for us. So subhanallah wa bihamdihi. That's a simple tip you can start right now when you get that space to fill it with positive thoughts. All right, stick around to listen to my interview with Dr. Nafisa Sikandri. Assalamu guys, and welcome to the second part of our show. Today, I have Dr. Nafisa with me. Yes, we have our first professional licensed clinical psychologist on. I'm so happy. Um, so let me just introduce her. Um, Dr. Nafisa uh, Sikandri. Did I pronounce that right? Sikandri or? Sikandri. Sikandri. Okay. Dr. Nafisa Sikandri is a licensed clinical psychologist, and she specializes in anxiety-based disorders. She's also the founder and director of Mental Health for Muslims.com. And guys, that's a great website. It's one of the first few like ones that showed up in 2008 when I started doing searches for, you know, Muslim and mental health. So it's health, uh, mental health for Muslims.com. And she's the creator of the online self-paced course, Transforming Anxiety. And she currently has her own podcast. Yes, she's a fellow podcaster, and it's called Mental Health Break. We could all use that right now during COVID. So mental health break. And there she shares her solutions for having a healthy mind. Assalamualaikum. Hi, Nufisa. Thanks for coming on. Salam. Thank you for having me. So how's it going? It's going good. Thank you. So guys, we just recorded uh, uh, like uh, the other end of where I was being interviewed. So that was really nice. Uh, if you guys want to check out that video, you can head over to Nafisa's YouTube channel and I'll share that in the show notes so you guys don't miss that. Okay. Um, so Nafisa, you were talking about that you have personal experience with anxiety. Do you want to uh, share that? Sure. Yeah. My, uh, my family has a deep history with anxiety, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder more specifically, but uh, my grandfather was very famous for having OCD. Although, you know, as it goes in our cultures, nobody's really diagnosed. We just know the symptoms. We know that they um, have did things in a weird way or had obsessive thoughts and obsessive behaviors. My grandfather happened to be a very, very clean uh, an organized person. And I remember hearing about he always smelled really good. His clothes had to be very crisp and white and, and ironed. And um, but he was just he would still get stuck in his thoughts. And and, uh, and so I see that in different family members. But because uh, I now see anxiety as a spectrum disorder, I see it as affecting people on, on a like I said, a spectrum disorder where some people are on the higher end, and they it's very debilitating for them. Um, I saw people on the higher end in my family, but because I wasn't that extreme, I thought I didn't have it. I was like, oh, good. I don't have anxiety. I don't have to worry about it. 
But then looking back on my life, I realized the majority of my issues, my problems, my severe social anxiety while I was at school, my obsessive thoughts, my irrational thoughts and beliefs that would, uh, the personalization that, that would cause me to have uh, issues with friendships and uh, my relationships would be affected. I would hold, hold grudges. Uh, I would get extremely angry. Like one example is I would, I remember being at a wedding and I'm always early. I'm very punctual. That doesn't go well in our culture because everybody kind of shows up two hours later. So I remember being at a wedding and um, waiting for my cousins and they showed up two hours late. And by the time they got there, I was raging. I was so mad and I didn't want to talk to them. And I took it personal like that was about me. And, and I just realized this has nothing to do with me. They're on their own schedule. I chose to be early and they can do whatever they want. And that was very liberating for me to realize that that wasn't about me and not have to, and not personalizing um, other people's behaviors, but it affected me in every area of my life. But I, at this time, I also see my anxiety as being a huge blessing and that it also was the fuel for my success in life for me to, for me to achieve my goals, for me to be so driven um, yes, it's caused some issues. And sometimes I am just like, oh, this anxiety gets on my nerves. I wish I didn't have it. But at the same time, I also see the, the, the flip side of it, the blessing of it as well. And that it's really helped me in so many ways. And without it, I don't think I'd be where I am. Mm -hmm. I like that answer. <laughs> did, did it inspire you to become a clinical psychologist, your anxiety? I didn't know I had anxiety. I actually really made the connections to myself having anxiety personally, uh, just maybe 15 years ago. Uh, but I did study psychology because I, I was debilitatingly shy, like I said, um, in high school, mm -hmm. the idea of I wasn't I know I wasn't shy when I was in Afghanistan, I was a very, uh, even though I was in the fourth grade, I kind of ruled the school, I um, made everybody do things for me. I was the head of the class. And um, and then we came to this country and I became so severely shy that if a teacher called on me, I would just turn bright red. I remember seventh grade, my teacher sent me outside with a boy to go do a, a, a biology test or some experiment, some science experiment. And that freaked me out so much, I started crying. Mm -hmm. uh, and imagine in middle school, just being such a wreck that you're going to cry over every little thing. But that was that was my life. And um, so after high school, I vowed that I had so many fears. I was like, I want to get over all my fears. So I started like taking drama and wanting to put myself out there because the idea of being mm -hmm. on stage terrified me. Nice. Um, heights terrified me. Um, bugs terrified me. I remember in college, I put a snake around my, my neck just to like overcome oh, that. Fear. Wow. Like, a huge boa snake. <laughs> and so um, just realizing that I had um, control over certain things. I went repelling, I, you know, off the side of a mountain. But then I, because I was trying so hard to overcome whatever was standing in my way, I knew that I had all these fears and that they were, that, that wasn't who I was on the inside. Something else was stopping me. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to overcome it as much as possible. So I started taking psychology to understand more about myself mm -hmm. and um, understand what was going on, like what was happening to me. And then I fell in love with psychology, the idea of actually learning about people's minds and behaviors and eventually went on to become a psychologist just to be able to help others, not even thinking about myself anymore. Mm -hmm. um, 
And even though I went and had my doctorate, I have my master's, I got my BA in psychology, none of that really helped me understand my level of anxiety. But once I made that connection to my, that my anxiety was OCD based and it also had, um, I'm also socially anxious and um, I used to dread going to family gatherings. Like who does that? I mean, these are people I, I grew up with, I knew them, but every party would create so much panic for me. And I knew, but once I got there, I'd be okay. Um, so learning how to overcome all of that once I made the connection has been so liberating. And ever since then, my mission has been, let me educate as many people as possible. And one of the things one of my patients said to me yesterday is, I am so grateful for you sharing your experiences because it normalizes ours and we're not feeling judged when we come to see you. Yeah. And so that's my goal. That's my mission. I want people to feel that this is a normal experience. Anxiety is the number one disorder in the world. A lot of people are struggling with it. It is on the rise because of COVID. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's normalize it and know that there is treatment available. There are, there, are, there are support available. You don't have to suffer needlessly. Yeah, I agree with that. I, th I think that's very true. Um, so you actually practice what you're preaching. Because a lot of professionals, they read a book and then they get a degree and it's like, hey, I know what's in your mind, but you actually do know. <laughs> You've gone through it yourself. And I admire that putting, what was it, uh, a snake around your neck? What, what kind of snake? It was, was one of those big boas. It was, I remember it was oh. yellow and white. It's like the kind that Britney Spears had in one of her yeah. videos. <laughs> and it was the book oh, Little Prince, the Little Prince, the book, he had a bow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it actually <laughs> fell asleep underneath my hair. I used to have really long hair really? and it fell and it just kind of it was warm back there. It just kind of fell yeah, asleep. Yeah, it felt at home. <laughs> so um, that was really um, sweet. <laughs> yeah, I would definitely say you're living your mission because I'm one of the people that you did normalize mental health issues for. So thanks for doing that. I think what you're doing is so great, mashallah. Um, I wanted to ask you, I was looking up something uh, about mental illness in Pakistan and the surrounding area, and I read some stats on how the social and the political environment around that area, like Pakistan, Afghanistan, how that's affecting um, men who are having mental health challenges. And of course, they have an added extra layer of misconception because they're men. They're not supposed to have emotions. They're supposed to be strong. You know, in our community, that's what it is. So can you comment on that? What What do you think is... Um, like, how can we talk about that? What do you think the problem is? Because in that community, that I think that's a whole another beast, uh, you know, differing from what we're talking about. So what do you know about that? What, what can you tell us about that? How can we? I know it's a big question, but I, I think you're the one who can help me with that question because I don't know who else to ask, <laughs> especially that I you have an Afghan background. I know, but I don't. I don't think that uh, I could relate to what's going on, or I don't have direct experience of what those men could be going through in Afghanistan or Pakistan. But I know that the stigma that's related to mental illness in our communities uh, in those countries can definitely stand in the way of people actually seeking help. Mm -hmm. And the fact that they're not, first of all, they're not seeking help, but then they're using other things to medicate themselves. They might be using drugs. They might. Uh, be using um, other substances to self-medicate because they don't have access to treatment. But also lifestyle makes a big difference, whether you live in Afghanistan or Pakistan or even in the United States. If you're not taking care of yourself, if you're not eating the right foods, if you're not getting enough sleep, if you're not 
making self-care a priority and you're not journaling and talking to other people about your emotions and allowing things to build up, you will have mental health issues. Mm -hmm. you, it will take over because you're not prioritizing your mental health. And that's what we need to do regardless of where we are, even if we don't have, like there are a lot of people from Pakistan and uh, India and uh, Afghanistan that contact us, especially through mental health for Muslims. It's like, we don't have access to a mental health professional. What should we do? Or I can't afford to see a therapist. What should I do? Mm -hmm. at, the, at the bare minimum, go to bed on time, get off all electronics by 10 o'clock and go to bed on time and get enough deep sleep. Yeah. Uh, eat the right foods, eat more vegetables, eat more foods, get off of all processed foods and make sure you're feeding your brain and your gut the nutrients that it needs. Get out there and exercise. Journal. Those, these are all free things that I'm telling you guys. Just journal. Mm -hmm. uh, get all your emotions out. Uh, journaling has been a lifesaver for me because, like I said, when I was struggling in high school and uh, college, I didn't have therapy. But at the same time, that stigma or the idea of therapy was so foreign to me even back then, like me going to a therapist. Um, but just having my journal to talk, to write in there. And I made a vow to myself, I think when I was 19 and my motto was to thine own self be true. I wanted to be my complete raw address, the good, the bad, and the ugly in my journal. I wanted to know myself at that level and not sugarcoat who I was. I didn't want to put another mask on for myself. I really addressed all of the emotions, all the issues um, and that really helped me get through the tough times when I didn't have a therapist to talk to. So I, I don't, I, I, I'm sorry, but I don't know how to explain the, what's going on with the men over there. But mm -hmm. I think universally men are not allowed to express their emotions. Men are, men are not ex expected to be sad, be hurt, be weak. And so a lot of them put on this persona that I'm really tough and, and they stuff their emotions and then they explode in anger when they really should address their emotions so they can be more compassionate and more soft and more caring. And I think definitely the men in the community, in our community, are they're expected to be very tough and don't show any emotions and just, you know, put on that face. So I think they need to realize that it's okay to feel these emotions, all these things, it's fine. So um, Nafisa, I wanted to ask you about one last thing, which is um, self-talk. So what advice would you give to people about their you know, self-talk and how to actually make that work for them instead of against them? So Dr. Daniel Amen calls that the automatic negative thoughts and he calls them ants. So you can kill the ants uh, where the negative thoughts automatically get triggered when something comes up. Like a, let's say um, I still have my phobia or fear of public speaking. And then all of a sudden I'm expected right now to talk. I'll, I'm, I might start having like the negative thoughts of, oh, you're not good enough. You're going to fall flat on your face. You're going to turn bright red. And I just have to kind of, first of all, I have to identify them. Then this is where the journaling can come in. You have to catch them, write them down. What are the thoughts? What are exactly the thoughts that you, that are automatically kicking in, uh, whenever, um, whatever Jenny was saying, or even, you know, whatever thoughts you're having, I have my, uh, my patients call it Fred. Uh, it's this little monster in their head that says those negative things. You're not good enough. You're not, uh, you're not going to succeed. Uh, who do you think you are? Write those down and then have a, have a uh, response, challenge those thoughts to, to say, no, that's not true. I'm not going to fall flat on my face. And even if I do, so what? 
the world's not going to end. So you're not going to be able to talk back to it unless you write it down and unless you identify what they are. And then you can have a response that kind of is the opposite of what they're trying to say. Um, and that that's a way that you can start talking back to yourself and saying, that's not a true statement. Or even if it is, it's not the end of the world. It's not the worst thing that can happen to me. I'll live through it. Um, or um, even if it's saying, uh, don't do that because it's going to be, you know, like don't touch the doorknob, for example, because it's going to have all these germs and you're going to, it's like nowadays with COVID, you're like, yeah, I should, you know, not do that. I mean, there are some things that we really shouldn't do. So listen to that. Maybe some of it is rational and some of it is uh, helping you stay away from danger, but others could be like even not go to a party because everybody's going to laugh at you and everybody's going to make fun of you. No, I'm going to go to the party and I'm going to stay there as long as I feel comfortable. And as soon as I don't feel comfortable, I'm going to come back home. You're giving yourself permission and you're saying, I'm getting to choose. You're not going to choose for me. I will choose what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to decide how long I'm going to do it for. And that way you're being the boss of your, um, I say a boss of your OCD or your anxiety, but it's really these irrational thoughts and beliefs. You're taking control and you're being the, you're making the decision. That I think is great. The getting that control over the thoughts. Um, how, how would you recommend people do that? And once you do, once you kind of acknowledge them and they're there and you start kind of talking back to it, how do you get space from it? Because I find uh, once you do start talking back, you deal with them, you acknowledge them. What if they're still there, right? They're still very loud. How would you get space from those, that kind of noise? What would you do? Like, I know you talked about journaling. So what would you do to get that space? So I want you to visualize that I'm following you around all day and saying those horrible things to you all day long. At first, you can sit there and talk to me and say, you know, I'm, that's not true. That's not true. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to listen to you. But after a while, you're going to be like, I'm not going to listen to you at all. I'm not even going to be in the same room with you. I'm going to leave. I'm going to get up and go get myself some water. I'm going to go uh, to another room. I'm going to go do something else that I enjoy and just shut me up, right? Imagine that's what's happening with these thoughts. You're, they're going to keep coming. And I noticed that for me, they start coming when I'm not taking care of myself, when I'm not, um, when I'm not feeling well, when I'm too stressed, when I'm too tired. Then all of a sudden, the thoughts start coming again. It's like, okay, that means I'm not taking care of myself. What can I do? Why am I more reactive right now? What, did I eat okay? Did I sleep well last night? Why am I being more reactive? What's causing me to listen to these thoughts again? And so when you're feeling strong, you can shut the door and say, enough. You're not welcome here anymore. But know that sometimes when you're not feeling well, those thoughts might come back. That, means, that doesn't mean they're ever going to go away. But once you know what to say to them and you have some steps in place, like I'm going to walk away or I'm going to make it funny or I'm going to ignore it, I'm going to set a limit. Like even your daughter, if she was constantly saying, uh, why is the sky blue? Why is this? Why that? Why that? Why that? After a while, you're like, okay, I'm going to answer all your questions in the next five minutes and then that's it. We're not going to ask that question anymore. You have to set a limit for it. Yeah, I like that idea of setting a limit, you know, because then it does become out of control. And I love the part where you um, I love the part where you said that if you're not taking care of yourself, it kind of comes back, it flares up. And I think that's where mental illness and anxiety and bipolar depression, they can all be like our friends, because they signal 
that, hey, something is not right. You're not doing something correctly. You're not taking care of yourself. So I'm going to come and I'm going to teach you that lesson. And unless you learn it, I'm going to keep knocking back until you get the message. So I, I love that you said that because I think that is something you you don't read in a in a self-help book about bipolar anxiety that you don't read that kind of stuff. So um, thanks for sharing that. I really like it. So what are some things that you do in your own life right now? Um, like you don't have the, what was it, the snake around your neck, the boa anymore. <laughs> so what are things that you still do right now or every day that help you uh, manage the anxiety? Because you're saying it never really kind of goes away. Those, you know, those voices don't really shut off or those thoughts. So what are things that you currently do right now, especially in COVID? Because we're all home. There's no like kind of normal, nor, you know, normal schedule, normal anything. So what are things that you're doing right now to kind of stay sane? <laughs> well, I think it's the same thing. I mean, this is why I consider my anxiety a blessing is that it's forced me to really prioritize my mental health as well as my physical health. And by taking care of myself physically, I'm also helping myself mentally. So I make sure that um, my diet is clean. Mm. and that I'm eating healthy foods. And I'm, I'm, I really prioritize my gut. And I'm responsible for the trillions of bacteria that are in my gut, I consider them my little soldiers, they're there, the, my, my immune system is in my gut, the majority of my serotonin in my brain uh, is in my gut, 90% of it is in my gut. So when they're healthy, they're releasing the feel good chemicals that I'm that are going to make me feel calm, and less reactive, I make sure to go to bed, I'm very religious about sleep, I, um, I do believe we need to be in bed between 10 and two because that's when our melatonin levels are at its peak. And that's when I'm going to get the most deep sleep. Um, I am tracking my sleep right now and very rarely am I getting deep sleep around four o'clock. The majority of my deep sleep is between 10 and two. And so I make sure to be asleep during that time because I need that deep sleep. Uh, if we can take care of our and prioritize sleep, we will be less reactive the next day, we'll be more productive. My goal is not to completely get rid of anxiety. Anxiety serves, serves a purpose. Like, like you said, like any disorder, it serves a purpose. Anger serves a purpose. Fear serves a purpose. And so I want to make sure that it's, that it's coming up for good reasons instead of just randomly going off because of my irrational thoughts and beliefs. And so if I'm taking care of myself, I'm journaling, I'm, I'm, I'm making sure I'm meditating and relaxing and calming my mind down and exercising. And like I said, eating well and sleeping, those are things that are keeping me mentally stable. Because in life, really, it doesn't matter what's happening outside of you. Because when you're feeling balanced and, and, and calm on the inside, you're going to be less reactive on everything that's happening outside. But when you're chaotic and all, all unstable from the inside, you could win a million dollars and you're not going to enjoy it. We've noticed this with celebrities that have everything they've ever wanted. And then they, they're not emotionally balanced on the inside. So then they commit suicide or they become addicted to drugs because they're not solid on the inside. Our goal should be to be stable mentally, feel grounded on the inside and then we'll be able to take life one day at a time, one step at a time from the outside. Those are great tips, especially the sleep one. I think that's a huge thing for mental health. Um, Nafisa, you talked about gut bacteria. Can you share more about that? Because I try to find out more about it, but I find I couldn't find anything substantial or something that made sense to me. Well, one, one thing people don't understand is that the gut plays a huge role in our mental health. 
uh, it like for people that have balanced gut bacteria, they are more, uh, they're calmer, they're not depressed, they're not anxious, they're, they, they, they don't have attention issues. Uh, because when that gut bacteria is off balance, where we're eating a lot of junk food, so when we're eating a lot of sugar and processed foods, we're our bacteria doesn't get any food and nourishment from that. In fact, we're actually feeding the bad bacteria and then we'll have an overgrowth of bad bacteria. And they're not the ones that are releasing the feel-good chemicals. The, the good bacteria are the gatekeepers to the serotonin in our brain. So imagine imagine a city, I don't know, what's a, a South Central LA or New York in the, in the 30s or the 20s when the, when the mafia used to take over, right? When the, when the gang members were taking over. Imagine the gang members being in control and all the all the healthy citizens are living in fear of their lives. So they're not out being productive. They're not doing their jobs because the streets are taken over by the bad, uh, the gang members and the mafia in, in New York City. Um, that's how it is in our gut. When we're not feeding our gut the good, the, the, the prebiotics and the probiotics, and we're not making sure that our the, the environment is healthy, uh, then we're not feeding it the, the nutrients that it needs. So it's not doing its job. None of the workers are doing their job. They're not doing the, they're not releasing the feel good chemicals. They're not helping us sleep well. They're not helping us be, be calm and less reactive. So we need to make sure, like, look at it as a village. Did you ever read the book, Horton Hears a Who? So it's one of my favorite books for children. Mm -hmm. And and in the book, Horton picks up a speck of dust and he can hear people on there and they're saying, help, help. And then when he, when he zooms in, you see that on this little speck of dust are lots of people living there. There's like uh, societies, there, there's a whole village, there's apartments, there's, there's a whole thing going on. That's how it is in our gut. We have trillions, three pounds of microscopic bacteria in our gut and they are working so hard for us. The majority of our immune system is in our gut. The majority of our mental health brain chemicals like serotonin is in our gut. And so when we take care of it, they're releasing their, the, the feel-good chemicals. They're, they're making sure that we're healthy. There are little soldiers fighting to make sure the viruses don't take over and they keep us healthy. So, but when we're eating foods that are rich with uh, antibiotics, for example, or we're constantly taking antibiotics because we're getting sick frequently, uh, we're killing, we're literally bombing the village every time. And when we do that, and even when we're eating foods that have a lot of pesticides on them, when we do that, we're literally bombing the village and it takes a long time. Like think about Hiroshima when the bomb was dropped on it. It took many, many years for that village to come back to life, right? It took a, a long time for it to be clean enough for people to live there and thrive and grow. It's the same with our village. Every time we bomb that village, it takes a long time for the trillions of bacteria to come back and, and grow. So we have to be so protective of it. And eating prebiotics is really important because that's their food. Onions, garlic, uh, Jerusalem artichoke, jicama, all of that really helps them grow. Uh, and, and nourishes them and feeds them a sauerkraut like Costco sells an amazing sauerkraut. It's all wild, uh, which is cabbage. And that's I'm becoming obsessed with sauerkraut. And that's a really good thing to eat um, to help them. And then kombucha is another thing that has good bacteria, yogurt, kefir. Um, and then probiotics are imagine 
you know, there's so many wars uh, overseas and then the soldiers come back and they're either injured or they're or they've died. And so the United States have to keep sending more soldiers to replace them, right? I see probiotics as me adding reinforcement to the soldiers that I already have. I'm sending healthy soldiers to help with the with the culture that's already there. So that's the probiotics. The prebiotic is their food. And then you have to manage your stress so that the environment is, is healthy so that they can grow uh, and not eat, reducing pesticides, reducing toxins, uh, and then making sure that you're you're just taking care of your body and your health so that their environment is is uh, is a place for them to thrive and grow. I hope that made sense. Yeah, it's starting to, <laughs> because I was so confused by it. Um, so that's how like your diet is affecting your mental health because of the gut bacteria. Yes. Well, you're feeding, you're either feeding or you're destroying your gut bacteria, but also there's nutrients in the diet. There's a direct connection between food and mood. Yeah. So when you're eating the right foods, you're going to feel good. But when you're eating junk food, you're going to feel awful because your bacteria doesn't get the nutrients it needs. So what is the link between the neurotransmitters? Like uh, you mentioned serotonin. How, what is the link between that and the gut bacteria? Like are the neurotransmitters actually, they're not produced in the gut? I thought they were like in the brain. How, what's the link? 90% of them are in the gut. Oh, really? So how do they get to the brain? <laughs> well, the brain and the gut are like this when, when in utero, when we're being developed, and then they stretch out. Oh. One goes here, one goes there. So it's like they're, they're constantly, it's a two-way highway. They're constantly communicating with each other. Oh. Uh, the gut communicates with the brain and the brain communicates with the gut. This is why we have a gut feeling when something happens. Oh, this is why... This is why people have like diarrhea or constipation when their emotions are off because it affects your gut. Wow, that is so cool. I, I like now I know the gut feeling. <laughs> so are the um, you're saying the neurotransmitters are like linked to the gut bacteria. So once they have healthy food, does the gut produce the neurotransmitter? And then is it how is it sent up to the brain is well, all of that, like I said, they're constantly in communication. The bacteria are the gatekeepers. They release the feel-good bacteria. Okay. So if they're healthy, they're doing their job. And so the like the brain and the gut are constantly talking. Just like when we are full, this, the gut sends a signal to the brain and says, okay, you've had enough. And it's not just the, the neurochemicals. It's all of our chemicals are constantly in, in contact. The gut bacteria is becoming such a huge link with mental health that, that mm -hmm. psychologists are now calling uh, probiotics psychobiotics because mm -hmm. they play such a big, important role. Oh, wow. That is so fascinating. I feel like I, I learned actually something because I tried looking up in books and sites and I, I, all I saw was yogurt. Eat yogurt. <laughs> eat this yogurt. The green you don't one. Eat this much yogurt. You have to have this much huge amount of yogurt to get wow. the amount of bacteria that you need. Like okay. I recommend 5 billion active cultures at least. Okay. And in a pill, you can easily get that. But that's a lot of yogurt and nobody's able yeah. to, to get yeah. that much yogurt. But that's why... I will drink kombucha. I will have uh, sauerkraut. I will have uh, kefir. I'll have um, 
jicama and, and garlic and onions and all that as far as the prebiotics. So you have to kind of diversify it too. You can't just yeah. take it all from one pill. You got to get it from a, a lot of different resources. What's kem kombucha you said and jicama? What is that? Jicama is a vegetable. It's, it's called a Mexican potato. Um, you can get it from any Mexican store. I mean, they do have it in, in health food stores as well. Uh, they're very cheap, but uh, they're very refreshing. It's like a, a lot of fiber. There's a lot of fiber to it. So I just eat it raw. You peel it and you eat it raw. You, if you have ever had Mexican food, you will mm -hmm. see it. And on the table, they're, they're like little pink uh, sticks. Oh, okay, okay. So that's yeah, jicama. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what jicama, but yeah. And kombucha is a fermented tea. There are some kombucha brands that have enough alcohol that it, that is equivalent to beer, okay. but then the majority of them that you find in Trader Joe's or the regular stores, they're, they're, it's very negligible and it's minimal. Oh, I was looking on your website and you had, is it aromatherapy? I know it's not exactly aromatherapy, but you had something about scents and I know nothing about it. Um, I just started uh, having a diffuser with lavender at night and it's helping me sleep. So I'm like, I have to ask Nafisa about that because I know zero about it. Essential oils are amazing. I use it for everything. I use it. I have this thing called uh, this blend called flu bomb that I use to help me stay healthy, uh, even during COVID. Uh, when I have a cold, I'll use essential oils. I diffuse them around the house to clean the air of airborne pathogens. I diffuse them in my office. Uh, you can put them topically. There's so many different types of oils that you can put them topically on your skin. It's the fastest way to absorb into your skin and go directly to your brain. In 20 minutes, it can affect every single cell in your body. And so it's great for emotional balance. There are a lot of the citrus smells like the oranges, the wild orange, the lemon, the lime, they can help you feel uplifted. So some people put it right behind their ears or the back of their neck, the bottom of their feet. Those are all really good points to absorb the oils instantly. Lavender is another really good one to, to use, but there's a lot of different blends. Uh, I use doTERRA essential oils, but there are other brands that you can start using. When I started using oils, the only ones I had were rosemary, eucalyptus oil, and lavender. Uh, and I just got them from like, a health food store, but you can get um, essential oils anywhere and make sure that they're, if you're going to take them internally, like I add them to my water, I uh, add them to my cooking sometimes, make sure that they're food grade and they're high quality. But if you're just going to diffuse it, it, it doesn't really matter as much as far as the, the, the quality of it. But um, you are, that they're very effective and they bypass the frontal part of your brain and they go deep into your emotional part of your brain. So they, they can help you feel calm. Yeah. I didn't know that. Um, I, I got some from Target and then I read the label and it was talking about skin irritation and that if, uh, if uh, someone's pregnant or breastfeeding, they shouldn't like use the oil. What What is that? Depends, depends on the oil. Some of them can cause a skin irritation. So I break it up with like a almond oil or fractionated coconut oil. So I mix it up with that so that it's not creating that irritation because some of them are very potent and they can burn your skin okay okay well that's good to know because i just started with that and i find it does help me sleep at night i got this one called uh like tranquil sleep it's a mix of lavender with other things so i yeah i found it very beneficial so i thought i'd ask you about that um so guys uh, i or i wanted to ask you about uh, the course you have or is it an ebook transforming anxiety 
So can you tell us more about that and my listeners? Yeah, it's uh, so because I'm licensed in Arizona and California, I'm not able to provide services to people outside those states. And a lot of people have, like I said, from around the country, around the world have contacted us, uh, especially through Mental Health for Muslims, wanting to work with me, but I'm not able to provide services. So what I've created is this course. It's not therapy. It's self-paced. I, I give you all the information that I normally would give my patients um, in, in, the, in session. But over the course of six weeks, every week you get a different uh, segment of, of like the first week is all about understanding what anxiety is. Second week, you're addressing the fears associated with anxiety. The third week, it's all about the uh, stress related to anxiety and managing anxiety. And then the fourth week is trauma. Fifth week is energy medicine. And then sixth week, we sum it all up. So every week you get a, a, all these different videos that teach you all the, the, I think, everything that you would need to completely manage and transform your anxiety. Um, and it's at your own pace. You're doing it on your, uh, uh, you can do it in six weeks. You can do it in six months. You can do it in six years, but you have access to the course, uh, lifetime access to the course. So you can do it for whenever you want to do it. But I do want to mention it is not therapy. It's not directly me helping you, but it has all the information and I'm guiding you through videos as a course um, educationally, you'll get all the tools that you need. Um, thanks for sharing that. Is that on your website, mental health for Muslims as well, or is that, does it have a separate website? Um, it's in the transforminganxiety.com. It's transforminganxiety.com and it'll have all the information, but I do want to say that, uh, for a lot of people, either they don't have access to a therapist or they don't feel comfortable going to a therapist. So the beauty of this course is you can do it in the privacy of your own home and the comfort of your own home at your own pace, you can use it with your whole family. Um, and so it is something that you can uh, rely on. And like right now, because like you said, with COVID, everybody's online, everybody's uh, shopping. Online courses are going to be the, the form of the future. We're not, I mean, even therapy, a lot of people are doing things online now. They don't feel comfortable going out. And now that they know that it's possible, they might not want to go to a therapist's office. Instead, they want to do it from the comfort of their own home. So that course is available, transforminganxiety.com. Okay, that's, uh, I think, all I have for now. But I might ask you about gut bacteria and aromatherapy more. I just started learning about it. But I really appreciate your knowledge. Um, uh, I, I just love your experience. And you've lived it. And you're talking about it. And mashallah, you're a great person and great person to listen to. So thank you, Nafisa, for coming on. Uh, I hope you had fun. I, I hope you had fun talking and stuff. So It was great. Thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Hey, thank you. Assalamu alaikum. All right. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed my episode. It was so nice talking to you again. And if you want more support and to have a one-on-one -on -one session with me, please visit my website, sabamalik.com, and I'll link it below as well. So you can book a session with me and we I can just support you in your mental health journey. All right, please rate my show and leave a review. See you next time. Assalamu alaikum.